Sambo Choa. We're finally back together, and I have a question that I have been wanting to ask you, which is time is ticking. Summer is fading. The time in which we have to prepare for the new year is slowly disintegrating into the actual new year. And I want to know, have you planned anything in your head or are you just living your best summer life? Are are you in teacher mode yet or, or not? I don't know if I'm in teacher mode. I'm trying to keep going with whatever I've been doing all summer. This has probably been the most personal productive summer I've had. Wow, I have good. I have redone my uh, yard. I have redone uh, my house a little bit. I even redid, as you see, my office. I've gone on vacation, and I've got my vacationer right here. My sister's here, and uh, hopefully, I can fit in one more trip. But yeah, I do kind of think about what we're doing, what I'm going to be doing. I've been thinking about my start. Like it's funny because when we were on vacation. Uh, somebody would say something in a show that we were watching, and I go, oh, I think that would be a good first. So, and my family was going, Pam, stop, get away from all that. So, I'm always thinking about what might be a good lesson here and there or a quote yeah, that I might about can use. Your word. My word. I've been thinking about my word, and I don't have one yet. This is the first time in years I haven't had one already felt figured out. Wow. I don't know what I'm going to do. Maybe, wait, maybe everybody can post a word for me. What do you think? Who crap? Maybe they can, people? maybe they can give, maybe either that or our patrons, maybe they can give us, give me some help. A word that would expand my theme for the whole entire year. Mm, I bet Courtney's got one. Our, our, I bet Courtney our biggest would have fan. One. She's awesome. I think yeah, so. Courtney's great. Yeah. Oh. What do you think about that? That's what I think I need. I need some help this time. Sure. But yeah, I know I've, I've planted, uh, my dad built me some planters. We've been keeping him busy. And so they are massive and they go around the corner of my house and I have put tons and tons of plants. So I go out every morning and I water my plants. And the other day we had a pheasant, a rooster pheasant that showed up at my house. We had to take care of him for a little while. Why? Isn't that weird? But it was a beautiful bird. Why was it there? Uh, it just showed up. It climbed over our fence. Hmm. It just, he didn't climb. He kind of flew over the fence and he sat there. I think he was needing water and food. So we went, my sister and I, we went to go get some water and food for him. And he rested up and he went on his very way. He was there for about three days. That's interesting. And he's a beautiful bird. It was like a ringneck rooster pheasant or something. Very pretty. I wouldn't know that. Well, I didn't either. Hang on. What, hang on. Let's. Uh, what's the difference between <laughs> just on. a rooster and a pheasant? Like, I don't even know that. Well, I mean, a pheasant's in the wild, I guess, but a pheasant has a long, had a long, long tail on it, where a rooster kind of has a smaller tail, shorter. It had um, just beautiful feathers, almost like a like a mallard duck, and it had a white ring that went around its neck. And it's just beautiful. The one, the girl uh, pheasants are gray, are kind of brownish. They're brown, brownish gray. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Isn't that interesting. Yeah, I had no idea. Always learning something. Mm-hmm. 
And for our listeners, that, that's Miss Ochoa's sister hanging out. They're, they're partying over there. <laughs> he can hear you. <laughs> so well, I just wanted to bring He's attention here. to it. She's fine. I just wanted to bring attention so no one was like, am I hearing two voices? You are. That's so Anyway, funny. yeah. So it was fun. Well, in any case, ladies and gentlemen, this is Craft and Draft. We are the Rooster Show slash the Workshop Show. That's Pam Wachop, Jacob Chastain. We're two English teachers down here in the state of Texas talking about reading and writing workshop. And our journal system, the Craft and Draft, Craft Books and Draft Books. Pam's been on vacation for a little bit, so we really haven't chatted. So this is probably going to be quite the meandering episode. But there's a couple things I want to hit on before we go down those rabbits. Rabbit holes. Number one is that we are doing our first official PD. Now we've done PD for the patrons uh, that have been like pre-recorded. Uh, and obviously the podcast and special episodes and whatnot. Um, but this one's going to be live and it's going to be a zoom hangout essentially. So you guys are going to be there to be able to ask questions in the chat, to hang out with after our goal is to have a Q and a afterwards. Um, but it, we're talking about your first week of reading, writing workshop. We might go a little bit longer than that. I don't know. We're, we're still in kind of the, you know, we, we, you know, us, we talk and talk and we'll go through some things and obviously we'll have our presentation and the actual training itself, but you know, we might talk a little bit beyond that and whatnot, but it is July 23rd is when we will be doing the training and our agenda is we're going to talk about pre-planning and purposes and the workshop brief room setup discussion, talk about what you need in your classroom, and then essential mini lessons to start workshop right, smart ways to carve time for what matters, and then we're going to close with the Q&A where you guys can jump in, ask questions, and whatnot. You can type your questions. You could cam up and bring up your questions there. Um, if a bunch of people show up, we could be there for a while. If not a lot, that's fine. People have also been asking if they can't make the time, which is 11 a.m., correct? Am I saying that correctly? Yeah, Ms. that's what. Yes, 11 a.m.? If you can't make it, we are going to record it and leave it available. So if you're a patron at our Listener Plus tier, you get access to it already. It's just going to be posted in our patron group afterwards, and it'll just sit there forever. So regardless of if you're hearing this now or five years from now, it will still exist. Um, But if you're someone who signs up and pays for admission, which is $25, uh, then we can send you the link as well. So you don't have to be a patron to be a part of this. And you don't have to be a patron to even get the video afterwards. So if it's something that you would like even after the training, just hit us up and we will make sure it happens. But get in while you can. That way we can answer your questions. You can be involved and hang out with us on the 23rd live. So that should be awesome. But I want to tell you that all of this is possible because of the people who support us on Patreon, which you can as well if you go to our website, craftedraftworkshop.com, and you click the link titled More Resources, uh, you can go there and support us just like Alicia, Brandy, Leah, Mark, Amy, Sarah, Rebecca, Courtney, Carol, Nalissa, Destiny, Lori, Natalie, and Susan all do. Yes, you, that number is growing. Those of you who That's listen to awesome. the podcast every single week know that uh, it's been slowly rising, which has been wonderful. People getting access to exclusive podcasts no one else hears because they are behind the paywall of Patreon, plus videos and extra PD. We're going to drop our first uh, video for the Listener Plus 
tier here very soon on top of the training, on top of everything else. So this is really starting to kick up. We said that several months ago that things, once we hit a certain milestone, things would be going and that's where we're at. So anyway, ladies and gentlemen, that was a lot of info to give to you. Subscribe if you haven't, leave a review if you haven't, but let's get to the conversation. Alrighty, Miss Ochoa. Here's the thing. You've been gone and you've left me to just wither on the vine over here. Wither? No, since I left, we grew. What's up? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I don't think you're withering at all. (laughs) We are. It's been nice to see the numbers going up and and people joining our crew and, and wanting to be here for this. Um it's been it's been nice to to see. Now we we talked about this. So we have episode 100 coming up. We have some disputes about whether this is episode 100 or not. I'm saying it's not because for some reason the numbers say it's not. But we're coming up on the 100th episode. And I have a question for you, Miss Ochoa. Should our 100th episode be a live stream? I think why not? Why not? Why not? I think it's don't you think? Kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, we could even do yeah. a, a live stream for. Uh, I don't know. I mean, there's a there's a bunch of different ways we could do it. We could do a Zoom like we're playing for the training, or we could do it live on the internet. Um, we'll see. But I think that's. I think that'd be cool. That would mean so this one that'd would be, be episode ninety eight. And then okay. 99 and 100. So we'll plan for that. So keep an eye out for a live thing. I just threw that on her live on the show, you guys. So she wasn't even. Yes, she was yes he did. I mean, if she said no, that would have been a real problem, I guess. But anyway, I, I knew she would say yes, which is why I asked. And it's something I thought about. But a li- episode 100, we'll do a live stream of some kind, whether it's for Patreon uh, supporters or everyone. We'll see. Um, but we'll make it happen. I think it'd be pretty cool. But today... We're talking about workshop filler. Now, we can go a lot of different ways with this. Um, And really, this is classroom filler conversation. But it's the, you know, as we go into this new year, you know, I try every new year, you know, I try to set new goals for myself. And this last year, I don't know if it was because of the weird uh, I don't know, situations we were in. Like we were in real, like this last year just felt strange. Like it was a good year. I was really proud of what we did. I loved the kids and everything, but we did have weird discipline stuff, behavior things that kind of happened a little bit. There was more fights in our campus that didn't really affect us directly, but it kind of affects us, affects us indirectly. And so some of that, when you get so overwhelmed, especially towards testing season, like That's when I start bringing in, you know, some filler stuff that, you know, I'm just like, oh, my God, let's just put this out there. Let's just do this. It's good practice. But it's something I try to to push aside a lot. But what do you I don't know. I mean, how do you feel about that? First of all, let's define that when you think of like classroom filler or workshop filler. What is something that's filler to you? Meaning it doesn't really add much it just kind of takes up time what 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 would be like an example task or lesson that would that you would describe as that well i mean sometimes i've had them color something you know things like that maybe sometimes i'll do like a one pager which and they'll you know it'll kind of fill up some time it'll be a project or something like that uh, some people, uh, 
I think when I was younger, I might do like a word search or something like that. And I, I don't really do those much anymore. So what, what, what is a filler to you? Our ex-principal would agree with the word search thing, wouldn't she? She would. <laughs> yeah, she didn't like those. <laughs> oh, they are it? fun. I like doing them. Yeah, they're interesting. You know what's funny is I've done um, – I hardly ever do word searches, but I do every once in a while. I've thrown in a crossword that has been like – I'll say like it's about me, and I, I'll do it like on a half day or something. It'll be like a bonus thing, and I'll hand it to them, and like, oh, my God, I don't want to do this. But then when they realize it's all like questions about me and stuff I've talked about before, and then it becomes – I almost use it like a team builder because it really does bring the classroom together. Because I'll have things like who's Chastain's favorite rapper or who's Chastain's favorite, you know, musician. What's his favorite movie, favorite book, favorite book genre and stuff. And so they start like. Sounds like fun. Well, they start diving in research. Can I tell you a funny story? I don't know if I've ever shared this before in Craft and Draft or Teach Me Teacher. I I probably have somewhere. But the first time I did this was my first year, believe it or not. It was just something I thought of to do. And when I did it. There was the person doesn't work in our district anymore, but somebody from district came to visit our campus and with the principal. So she's walking around and they go and they see me doing this uh, crossword about me in social studies. And then we went to lunch like right after that and they came in and she she was a good sport about it. I don't think she was very negative, but I could tell my principal at the time was trying to be very. uh I don't know. I guess protective of the situation. <laughs> I think she was really sorry. That was the first time I did it. I, you know, always check to see if anyone's visiting during those times. But, you know, that's that's how old Chastain ran. Young Chastain, I suppose I should say. But in any case, I don't know. Filler for me, like, is stuff that isn't really directed towards... So like kids being engaged in their reading or writing. And I think of, I can think of a writing filler a little bit better. I think it's because um, I'm in the middle of planning my uh, next week's uh, presentation for Alito ISD, which I'm doing with a few students from Rightfully Empowered, which I'm super excited about. So I've been talking about that and trying to kind of whittle down what isn't filler, so to speak. But when I think of filler and writing, a lot of... What I consider is, it's almost like the, hey, let's write, you know, five different hooks. You know what I mean? In mm-hmm. in in isolation, right? I don't think there's anything wrong with revising and really talking about like the different hooks that you can throw in there and and maybe taking a hook and then revising it afterwards. But you know, those tasks that are specifically focused on that, you know what I mean? Or I remember I was in speech one time and I couldn't write my speech. This is when I was in high school. I couldn't write my speech until I filled out my outline. And to me, like, I know, like, why a teacher would do that. But to me, that now I feel like that's filler because, like, if you're writing a speech or if you're writing something, you 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 don't have the feel for it. I write outlines all the time and then kind of ignore them. I don't know. I think the outline is very overblown, which might be a different conversation, but that it's, it's the, it's the, it's the rigidity, rigidity. (laughs) (laughs) It's the, it's that strictness on doing something that I feel like sometimes becomes the filler. It's like, no, you can't move on until you do this very specific thing. And I'm often like, 
why? I don't know. Do you, do you agree with that or? Yeah, I see that a lot in research projects or research papers uh, where you have to have, like when I was younger, you'd have to have like your 25 note cards and it all became about what that note card looked like, not necessarily what was on the card that mattered now that I think back on it. And I just remember just finding quotes. They didn't mean anything to the writing just to fill in my 25 card quota uh, at the library. So I think sometimes that is maybe what you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, because like, think about that, right? The goal is to get them to do enough research, right? That behind mm-hmm. a, a card. Yeah, it's uh, a good, it's a good reason to do it. Yeah. But it's at like, least in your mind. Yeah. Right. But then when you kind of, I don't know, I, I guess at this point in workshop, I'm so comfortable with the process of a student going into their research and maybe even starting to write and then realizing, oh, they might need more information. And in fact, I think that's a better teacher because if your whole life you were told, oh, I need 25 note cards before I can start my research, how do you ever know? I think that might like – because it's – that might be one of the problems when it comes to like condensing information because mm-hmm. the di- imagine the difference, right? Okay, I just need 25. So eventually it becomes like maybe the first 10 are easy. The next 15 might be a struggle. So you start kind of pulling in, you know, this information. Kind of, okay, I just need this. Maybe, you know, oh, this is kind of the same facts, but I'll write it anyway because she just wants 25 note cards and then I can move on. But imagine, let's say you have four, you start writing and you go, oh, man, this this article I'm writing has really died. I need some more information or I don't have right. sufficient. I'm like, which one's a better teacher? Right. Well, one of the things that I do in that situation is I'll have the students pick something that they really want to research, right? And then they start kind of looking things up and they write down whatever is interesting to them. And then after a while, just, you know, whatever, I'll say, okay, don't even look at your research. If you're doing note cards, don't look at your note cards, put them all in a box, put them in an envelope, don't even look at them, turn your paper over and write and write whatever you know about your topic. Well, then they go back in and then they realize they pull out their research and they start looking to see what what they remembered, what they didn't remember. And then whatever they said, how can it be supported by that research? And then like what you're talking about, they're like, oh, I don't have enough for what I said. I need to go and find more or it might have taken a different turn than what they expected. So it becomes a little more authentic that way. And here, so it, I just thought of a reading example, right? Okay. In this, and it, it's tied to the same idea. And I think, I guess, now that I'm kind of thinking through this with you, is when I think of filler, it's often what I feel like is almost like an inauthentic task with reading or writing. I think that's a better okay. definition than what I was running with. And I know not everything we do can be authentic because we're teachers and we have things we have to right. do. So I want to get that, you know, just out of the way before anyone's, uh, wants to kind of dig in that way. But in actuality, we can do a lot that's authentic. But in reading, for instance, let's say you're reading, let's do your whole class novel. Let's say you're reading, I don't know, whatever. Let's say you're reading, um, uh, uh, I don't know, The Great Gatsby. Okay. So you're, you're going through The Great Gatsby and you did a lot of almost like pre-thinking for them rather than letting them go through and kind of experience the story 
and then kind of teaching from there, it becomes almost like reading on rails, right? You don't let anyone really struggle with the idea or come up with their own ideas. Um, and I feel like specifically with the classics, and I know we have a big elementary audience here, but our, like for secondary and when you're teaching something that has been taught a thousand times, Mm-hmm. I feel like sometimes we have the the tendency to put bumpers on, right? To where we we don't want them to veer away from the 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 dogmatic view of what this is. You know, the the green light means something in the Great Gatsby, and you know all of this other stuff. And um, but I feel like the that would to me would be going into that filler, so to speak, because it's no longer them engaging and wrestling with a a complex text, right? Even if you're reading a picture book, some of those can be very complex, especially if you're reading for younger kids or, I mean, really honestly for older kids, if you're reading a certain type of picture book and you know this better than I do, but that it's that moment where you take the struggle away, right? And we're not talking about Mm -hmm. just letting kids drown. We're talking about removing this so I can now, dole out this information, right? You don't know how to write an essay. So I'm going to tell you how to write an essay rather than you figuring out what ideas work together. You don't know how to read a classic. So I'm going to give you all the ideas in advance and put you on rails. And so that's, to me, that's what I think about when I think about filler. Well, I think you're, I think that makes sense. When you were talking about reading the great Gatsby, I remember, um, you know, this was definitely probably when I was in my twenties and, you know, just figuring out how to even teach, much less anything else, right? And so, uh, but what was really big was everybody wanted to do these annotated, these note cards, these note, not note cards, but, you know, post-it notes. They just came out, except I don't know when they came out, but I mean, they became popular, et cetera. And then they were, so then you'd have to write all these post-it notes and put them in uh, your book as you were reading your novel like the Great Gatsby, for example. And so then uh, the teacher would tell the students, you know, we need five questions, make sure they have, you know, for each chapter, you have to have five questions. You have to have, you know, some notes about the character. You have to have some notes about the plot. And then, but they would actually tell them what to have notes about. Does that make sense? And so then uh, the kids, what, what I saw or what I noticed, and I did it because that's what our curriculum required. And the students, I mean, we did one that comes to my mind was Great Expectations, which is not a small book. And they were having to have, I mean, it was like hundreds of notes and they had to, and, and they each got their own copy and they had to highlight. And then not only did they have to highlight, they had to put notes in there and then they'd have to you know, do all these note cards and it was in each color might mean something. It's just whatever you wanted to take it to. But the the project or that, that reading was no longer about great expectations. I mean, it, it definitely took the enjoyment of the story away because the students were only, okay, how many, okay, I've got five. I've got, I, and so they're busy just, just coming up with questions just to suit the teacher. And then not only that, I mean, it, it looked cool because they had these notes and notes and notes in these books. So it made it look like they were doing a whole lot of information or getting a whole lot of information out. But then when I would test the kids with my 100 question test that they'd have to have each so often their six weeks test, and it would be about a hundred, hundred questions. I've done all this because that's what we were supposed to do. And, um, and then, but the kids weren't passing the test but they took all those notes. So why weren't they passing the test? So it didn't really transfer, but boy, it sure did keep them busy. And it was all about reading. It was reading about 
great expectations and all of that, but I guarantee you they can tell me what why Pip did what he did and why the benefactor did what he did and why none of them got along. I mean, they don't they don't know anything. So I just found to me that would be something I don't do anymore that I yeah. used to. That would be a filler. Well, I mean, for starters, God, I just, maybe it's time I reread Great Expectations. I love that book. It's such and, a good book. Well, and it's a book that I've read three times, and mm-hmm. each time, I've read it at three different times in my life, right? Almost like a decade apart each. One was ninth grade. Yeah, well, and I did it on my own because <laughs> I wasn't in, uh, oh. I wasn't in those classes, right? Oh, and okay. And so I was, I was reading that when I was skipping class. <laughs> <laughs> All but right. I, uh. And we talked about it on the last episode, but uh, it's such it's such a fantastic book. But the this idea, and we talked about this a little bit. I, I did some googling while you were talking. We on episode eighty, we have an episode called "When the Product Hijacks the Lesson." Oh, okay, um, that's right. And that was a similar idea, right? It's almost like I feel like. Uh, especially in our early days, but I, I still fall into this trap, right? Which is why I think it's good to talk about, which is sometimes if I see my students are busy, I'll assume that it's, that it's good, right? It's like, oh, they're working. And I've worked with people who were like, oh, you know, this will keep them busy for a week, right? Right. And honestly, I think that's where my, uh, I think it's well documented my disdain for anything that takes longer than like uh, two days or three days, um, like on one task, right? I don't consider writing that because it's always different. Every conference is different. Um, independent reading, it's always different because it's always feeding something. It might be done with one thing, but it changes, right? But I'm talking like you give students a task and then that task just takes however long. That stuff kind of really irks at me sometimes, even though I know it's beneficial. But I think that's where my uh, kind of resistance to that came from because when I started out, my partner at the time, they did a lot of that. And I, it's hard for me to justify everything we did. Some of it was really good and some of the, the, the projects were really interesting, but also some of it was like, you know, what am I doing as the teacher? You know what I mean? Like the, even in workshop, I feel like this is kind of the misconception of what this is sometimes is... It's not about setting up task, telling students to go to work, and then you go to sit at your desk, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's about setting up systems so students can work independently, but then you're constantly supporting them whenever. Now, that doesn't mean you aren't at your desk if that's where you do conferences or whatever. The, the desk was just a, the, the example in that situation, but... For me, I'm always moving around. I'm always sitting at their tables. I'm, I'm, that's, that's my happy place. That If I can get through the lesson and get to that point, even on my bad days, that's where I'm happiest, right? Um, that, to me, is, is so much – there's so much depth there, and it's interesting, and it's exciting, and I think that's the heart of workshop. But I think a lot of people in a lot of – I don't know – I don't know if this is unfair to say, but I feel like a lot of PD really wants to, we, we substitute student ownership for students go work and I'm going to sit here. You know what I mean? (laughs) And Uh I'll give you an example of a perfect thing that I think is wonderful. So I was, I went up to the school the other day. I know, I don't know you follow, I know you follow me on Instagram, but Uh you, I don't, I I, don't, you don't watch everything on there because you're not a big Instagrammer, but I shared a a video of me walking through the halls because I weaseled my way into my key. 
Um, did you really? Of course I did. Now, I'm going to have to go look it up. <laughs> he was, <laughs> it's gone now because it was a story, so it's gone. Oh, okay. But it Sorry, was, uh, but I, I weaseled my way in and kind of, you know, I just did a quick little walk, but I was talking with our new assistant principal, who's an English guy, and he was telling me a story about how at his old school, there was this guy, he taught the highest level of math, but what he did was there was no tables or chairs, right? There was nothing but carpets. So they would come and sit for the lesson. He would stand in the middle of them, right? You can almost imagine like a Greek, uh, Mm -hmm. like philosopher kind of style. like Aristotle. Yeah. And here's where it gets interesting. And here's where I, I thought of you immediately was... And then he would be like, so he'd be like, all right, here's the concept. And he'd have like a whiteboard in his hand or an iPad, whatever he was using. Show them. They would all work on it. He'd be like, okay, go work. And so all of the walls were whiteboards. So they would all disperse. And he's sitting, he's always standing in the middle of the room and he's pointing, you know, he's like, you over here, you know, do this. So he's teaching all of this. So he's essentially having like 20 different conferences at a time while kids are working through stuff. And I was like, that is the dream. Right. I mean, that is mm-hmm. of any subject is the teacher teaches, they go off, but the teacher is still intimately involved in stuff. And that is the antithesis to filler. Right. When the teacher, right. if the teacher is engaged with every step, I feel like that's a sure sign that, oh my, there's learning happening here because the teacher's the guide, but he's not, I guarantee you, he is fully accepting of kids, especially at that high level of math, figuring out new ways of solving a problem or encouraging them to stumble, right? He's not saying you can only solve this problem by using this specific thing. You know what I mean? Right. And letting them explore. Well, and we, I feel like in English, um, especially in in this high stakes world we live in, we, we want to put rails on because we think we're doing the right thing, but really we're stunting that learning. And I think that's where we fall into a lot of trouble. Well, and, and I think that goes back to what you said at the beginning. And that is sometimes we go in and we rescue those kids too early. We don't let them really struggle. And there, I think that's the art in teaching is knowing when to stop the struggle, but when to let it continue, you know, like that we always have that crossroads in the classroom and some students need to be rescued a little bit earlier than others. But if we rescue them all at the same time, when we're not really meeting their needs. But um, there was a, I was in a workshop. Oh, I, right now it was, it's been several years ago, but uh, this particular quote stuck with me. And that was the learning is in the dissidents. And I just, that has always kind of stuck with me. And so I kind of watch for that because it's when those students are actually trying to figure out the problem, trying to figure out what, you know, what just happened. I told you that, um, uh, my sister and I went to a movie the other day and, you know, at the very end of the movie, cause I don't want to give anything away. So I'm just going to, I'm not going to say anything cause this, you know, it, it's a movie. I don't want to give anything away, mm-hmm. but when it was all over, I mean, at the very end, cause we did not. And she, let me tell you, she's a reader. She's like, I, I think I said, shared this earlier with you. She's my hero when it comes to reading. Nobody reads more than she does to in my world. Not even you. Mr. Chastain. (laughs) But I will tell you, we both, when this movie was over, we both looked at each other like at the same exact time, like what just happened? And then for all day today, all night last night, and we we still were talking about today is like, okay, so 
we're going to have to go back and go look at that because I think they gave us clues all along what the answer was and we didn't pick up on any of it. Why didn't we? And so we have been toiling with this. Why did we miss it? Because we're good readers. So why did we miss it? And uh, and so anyway, that to me, that's the dissidence. And that's what we want our kids when they get to the end of something, we want them to go, what? I got to go back and reread that. I don't know how, what, what happened there? And then, and then as a teacher, I'd say, well, you know, that happened to me. So this is what I did. So why don't you go try that? Let's go back and read the parts that you were having trouble with. Let's find out what it was, but I don't give them the answer. They have to find it. And that's where the learning is. I tell you what, that, that movie's going to, and the book, it's a book too, but it will stay with me because of that moment of you know, surprise. Well, it would be it'd be interesting to see how you feel if you read the book. Well, that's what we're both going to go read the book. That's one of the things we Are talked you? about. It's the, mm-hmm. and this is where the crawdad scene, right? Ah, you weren't supposed to say anything. I didn't want Why? anybody to know. Why? Because I didn't want to give anything away. Oh, okay. Well, I'll cut that out. I'll cut that out. Okay. <laughs> well, the reason is, is I don't want... I mean, we can go ahead and share that. I don't care. But my thought was... You know, I just don't want any, I want, I don't want to give, it was a surprise to me and I don't want to ruin the surprise for someone Oh, else. so by saying the surprise, you're going to ruin the surprise. I'm going to ruin the surprise by I saying the surprise. All right, I'll, I'll cut that out. I'll cut that out. Because now they'll be expecting a surprise. That's fair. So this reminds me, so I've had those experiences, like those experiences define me as a reader, right? Mm-hmm. It's the, it's the moment where a story takes you in so well and then ultimately changes you in some way, whether it's because of a twist or because something happens. Like I have several of these experiences. One of the ones that comes to mind all the time um, is the sequel to Aragon, which anyone that's a middle school teacher, elementary teacher, you know, we know these books are by Christopher Paolini, I think is how you pronounce mm-hmm. his last name. He wrote the book when he was like 16. Um, but the second one's called Eldest. And there's this part in the book. I remember reading it. I was reading it in the summer I was just all alone up and we had like an upstairs apartment kind of, and I was just up there. It was hot. I'm just reading this book and this one part happens towards the end. And I, I physically got chills because I just didn't know this, it was going to happen. And it was so epic, you know, this is dragons and fantasy and stuff. And I was like, holy moly. Like it was just, it was an amazing thing. Another thing happened. I mean, this happens several times in Harry Potter, specifically in the half blood prince. When you find out, uh, for he spoiler alert, I'm not going to give the spoiler, but just in case if you haven't, but the half blood prince, you know, you find out, you know, the, the, what Snape has been doing. And I mean that as a kid, like, I mean, that blew my freaking, my still blows my mind. I mean, it's such an amazing right. twist and it, she spends the whole series building that up and it's like, holy crap. Like, how do you even comprehend that as a writer? And you know, she did because I love the old, I don't know if you've ever seen the old interviews with JK Rowling, but she talks about like specifically her Oprah interview. She talks about like, and she opens up like this box and it's just all of these like notes and scribbled like pieces of paper. I mean, it's like pounds and pounds of just stuff that she wrote about the story. And it's just like, wow. I mean, it's incredible. And like the, the amount, of creativity and ingenuity and and craft that it takes to do something like that is remarkable. I mean, she deserves all the success she's ever had. I mean, she was filthy rich and she deserves it in all honesty. But <laughs> in any case, it's those moments though that I feel like 
One, I feel like we try to push them, right? I think this is a two-sided problem. We try to push those moments too much because people that have read The Great Gatsby, even though I think it's a little overblown, we know that it's a great book. We know Great Expectations is great. We know The Odyssey is great. We know Hamlet's great. We know, I mean, all of that stuff, right? We've talked about how The Scarlet Letter is probably one of the most uh, one of the most modern stories today, <laughs> given, given the- it the, is. Yeah, given the way people are branded and kicked out of society because of whatever decisions they made. Mm -hmm. Um, And that stuff, though, that stuff that we could force that onto people because of a a desire to get them to do that. But I think it's so much more powerful. We can lead them there and kind of let it happen as organically as possible. And I know the AP teachers of the world are like, no, they have to get it because they have to make these connections. And yeah, some of that, these canons, some of yeah. that's fair, right? I, I'm not mm-hmm. trying to battle that scene, but for everyone else and people who are maybe secondary and elementary, I think this world of letting kids struggle a little bit, you know, one of the, another moment I remember in reading was I was reading Ender's game and I didn't read Ender's game until I was a lot older. I read it in my first apartment that I ever lived in on my own with my wife. Um, and I read, I was reading Ender's Game then, and I remember getting to the end and I threw the book. It's probably the only book I've ever thrown <laughs> because I was like, holy crap, how did I not see that this was going to happen? Like this is, it was kind of right. obvious once it did. And I was like, wow. And, but I've had students since then dive into Ender's Game and they go through that or the city of Ember, right? When they, right. When they kind of discover what's really happening and it's just, or the giver, right? There's all of these books that have massive payoffs, uh, but if you're not letting kids be in that world and kind of just struggle with it on their own and we're giving them handouts and packets and teachers pay teachers ha- like uh, quizzes all the time, you're ruining the whole point of reading. And I feel like we do that because we feel like we have to, but it's, I don't know. I feel like we have to get comfortable in the uncomfortableness of letting kids struggle because that's where the magic is. Well, you, you brought up the giver and, you know, that was one of my whole group novels with my honors class, you know, this year with uh, our partner and I, we decided to, to do that. And most of it, I didn't do worksheets and things like that. We, you know, I, I did, I, we did some notes and stuff on, you know, character development. I talked about that, you know, those types of things, but I didn't say, okay, in this chapter, we're going to see some character development. This is what it looks like. Like I didn't go in and tell them we read it. And then after we read it, then I talked, do you see where there was, you know, can somebody tell me what happened with the character? So, I mean, in other words, but what was interesting is we, I did leave it very open where they, we really just read it. And, um, but I remember when the kids were going, no, no, let's, let's keep going. I'm like, well, I thought we were supposed to do some activities. No, no, I just want to read it. Of course, I really didn't have anything that specific activity. I just said, oh, no, we got it. No, 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 let's read it. I mean, they were so into it. Like, do you think maybe we can get to the next chapter? Do you think maybe? And so the next thing I know is when some of that stuff happened in there, uh, like with the baby, for example, you know, I, I struggle with that. Um, with the releasing and all of that stuff, but the kids were, they were reading it. And then all of a sudden, I mean, it was like a chorus and they all went, what? I mean, it was like the whole entire class was like, no, I mean, but they all had the same gut response. And I think if I would have given them a bunch of little activities to go along the way, 
or a packet like you're talking about, I don't think I'd have had that same response. Does that make sense? But but we read it, and but we read it at the pace they wanted to. So I don't hesitate at all to go, okay, never mind. We're not going to do those five questions. Let's keep moving. Because what I really want is these students to really get hooked into the book. And if I see they're hooked in the book, I'll I'll forego that that activity if I had one planned for that day. I always have one planned in case I need it. But sometimes we'll just read if that's what they want to do. And that's where I'm a little bit different, I think, than some other teachers. So I have, I wonder if I could find it while I talk. I have a post on Instagram from when I was a literacy coach. It's going to take me a while to scroll. Um, but... It, there was a moment where, so this class, for people that are unfamiliar, when I was a literacy coach, I also taught a class of a, uh, of 20. It started off more than that. It ended up being 20. Um, and this 20 literally was the spectrum of readers, right? It was, it was yes. the most struggling to the, the most proficient. Um, and our principal did that on purpose. And so we, I was working with these kids and it was, it was extremely challenging at times, um, but it was also extremely rewarding at times. I, I think that year honestly grew me more than any other year, even though I've had better years, that one probably gave me more learning opportunities than I've ever had uh, before. Here we go. I found it while I was talking. So this was posted on October 25th, 2018, and it's a picture I was at my desk and I said, it, my caption said, I had to grab a quick snap of this moment. I said, for those of you who follow me closely, you know, I started this year as a literacy coach, blah, 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 blah. I said, they resisted our 15 minutes of independent reading time at the beginning of the period. But today, so this is in October. So a few months later, I said, I talked about how they hated it at the beginning. I said, but today when the timer went off, see, this is back when I still use timers. I've talked about how I don't use them anymore. Um, they said when the timer went off, no one moved. And this is what I saw. Uh, they just kept going after a few minutes. I brought them back to me and said, our time was up immediately. They begged to keep reading. Mm -hmm. Kids shot up and told me they were almost done with their book or right in the middle of a good part. They begged for more time. And I said, did you all ever imagine you'd be begging for more reading time when you came to my class? And they promptly ignored my question and begged for more time again. So they, <laughs> they ignored my teaching moment and just went off to keep reading. And I remember that moment because, and I've had, I have them every year, right? Especially with, mm -hmm. with classes that come in resistant to reading. And this is when we talk about giving kids time. It's that time to really understand what reading is. And I've long said this, even for kids that will never be, you, that'll never read every, you know, that, that won't be the voracious readers, right? I mean, I think the statistic is like only 30% of adults really read a novel a year. So it's not like this is out of the norm to say, but most people don't become voracious readers that read more than a novel a year. And that's okay. As teachers, our job is to make their relationship better with it, to make those opportunities more uh, capable or more likely to happen. And so, but when we give them time and the, the, the room to do this, I feel like even our most struggling readers or the kids who are resistant, what they do is they open up and they realize, oh, this is a time where no one's bothering me, right? This is a time where no one's telling me to like write this sentence perfectly or 
no one's telling me to put down my hand or sit down or something. It's a time where I get to kind of, especially if you're in a room where you can kind of like go wherever you want, I get to spread out, lay on the floor, do whatever, go in my little hole and live in this world. Then it's awesome. You know, if I'm reading something I like and you give that time over and over again, kids gravitate towards it. Right. And I, it happens every year from kids who are proficient to struggling, to dyslexic, to learning disability. It happens all the time. And this is what the balanced literacy people have been talking about forever, which is if you want kids to get better at reading, give them time to read. That doesn't mean don't support them. It doesn't mean don't advocate for their needs, especially if they're dyslexic or something like that. That doesn't mean don't give them extra support. What it means is give them time. And when I had Donalyn Miller on, on Teach Me Teacher at the end of the, this last season, she says, I don't feel like my message of give kids time to read deserves four books, but I keep having to write books because people need to be <laughs> told to give kids time to read. And it's, it's so fascinating to me because I see it all the time, but it's, 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 it's almost the same problem. It's what we face when we, when we advocate for workshop, is it not? You and I have sat in yeah. trainings together, both presenting, and we're, we're mm-hmm. going to be presenting here soon, not to the patrons, but to actual districts and whatnot. And we're going to be faced with people who are resistant to workshop. And that is just, it's so hard to articulate it, but it's, it, it has to happen. Yeah, I think it's I think it's this idea of letting go. I, I you know, let's go back to the idea of a filler. The reason we have fillers is because we're afraid that that time is going to get taken, not taken away from us, but we're going to lose our control of that time. And 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 it does take some courage, if you will, to trust that it's it's going to work out. You don't have to have every second uh, field. You just have to have a good plan. And in that plan, you do have to have that time for the students to actually do the work. I mean, that's what workshop is, isn't it? I mean, it's time for the kids to do the work and they don't learn if they don't have, you know, if they can't do the work, they're not going to do the learning. So that's, I mean, it's just like the, the, blacksmith apprentice you know back in the days where we had those um, apprentices and things like that and and they learned by doing the work and that's just I mean experience is really what these kids need and you know to kind of I guess close out with a, a writing perspective because we've been hanging out on the on the reading side for a little bit which is you know I feel like a lot of people are really comfortable with Especially our audience, really comfortable with independent reading and letting them do that. Um, I feel like that the writing one is the one I feel like it always gets a short shaft because not enough people talk about it. It's something that is very rule based and reading starting to go that way, you know. And we've promised mm-hmm. finding someone to come on to talk about the the science of reading versus balance of reading. I'm trying to do the same thing on Teach Me Teacher. Maybe we'll do some type of crossover episode because I really want to dive into that whole conversation. Um, but the the science of reading, you know, it's very focused on phonics and they, they call it the code uh, of, of reading. And it's very systematic, um, which is fine. 
Um, I'm not a early literacy expert, so I just kind of listen and kind of parse some of this stuff together. Um, but in, I feel like that is running the risk in some ways of going to kind of what reading is or writing, which is like, well, you can't write until you uh, understand what verbs are or nouns. And it's just not true. Right. It's just it's not true. And that's why that's why I have like almost not a resistance to the science of reading, so to speak. But the science of reading is, is good marketing. It's it's there's no science of reading there's there's ideas that kind of get thrown into that but you can't it's not like biology like you don't have like a there's not a key piece to this otherwise we would it it would already be kind of set in stone it's the um it's a, it's a political um idea so to speak and so we have these concepts and in writing a lot of that comes down to I mean, it's like, oh my God, could you imagine if there was like this push of like going back to diagramming sentences? I mean, you might be happy. I know you have fun I'll diagramming be happy sentences. With that. <laughs> <laughs> I, as, I love as, me a diagram. <laughs> as someone who loves that, I mean, here, what, this is an honest question. Maybe you can push back to me a little bit. Would you feel like that would be beneficial in the long run if that was something that was written purely into the curriculum? No, because what happens is the same thing we've been talking about, and that is the grammar lesson becomes about how to, where to put that word on the diagram and not necessarily about the sentence. I think it can be confusing. Mm -hmm. But I think uh, the reason I like the diagram is understanding it is if you are struggling with creating a new sentence or trying to figure out the best way to word something, you know, you could use it, I guess, to kind of figure out how the words work together. Um, I like to use it to show the students how words work together. But other than that, I, you know, it's, it's not really, it's not going to make or break uh, a person's writing is it may, I don't think it's going to help them understand the grammar that much more. It's almost, it, but it is useful for me. The way I use it is I use it more like to show them the two parts of the sentence and how, you know, just how the phrases and stuff go together. But I don't make them do all these diagrams. I might show it to them on the board, but I don't do it with um, everybody. It just, it's more of a, I don't know. I explain it. I kind of just go, I don't know. It's hard to explain. People people get lost when I start talking about it, but I almost have to show you. But, you know, I'll write a word, uh, a sentence up there and I'll underline it and then I'll do my dividing line and then I'll have the students do the same thing and then I'll let them show, look, there are two parts of the sentence. So now let's go back in our writing. So that's how I do it is if I, if I show them a diagram, then now let's go back in our writing. Do we have sentences that do this? Okay, if you do, or let's, you know, if you're missing a verb, right, because you have to draw your line between the two sentences, you draw it between in front of the verb, I mean, in a diagram. So then I would have them look at a few of their sentences. Can you divide it? If you can't divide it, then you're probably missing your verb. Go back and see if you're missing your verb. So, I mean, I do it more of a, how to figure out what, you know, what I'm doing wrong. And I'm trying to make sure I really have complete sentences, but I don't do the details like they taught us, but I sure think it's fun. It's like a puzzle. Well, and here's the thing, right? It's the, and this is why I'm not, I'm not dogmatic about the whole, uh, balanced literacy versus science of reading group. I, I, I don't have a really a team. I have a, I have a, what, 
works mentality. And honestly, I think yeah. they're they're probably both sides of the same coin, right? In the same way that I think really detailed grammar work supports what I do most, which is kind of let kids write and struggle through it and kind of work through that process. I go meaning first is what I do. Um, right. And I think there's there's both reasons to do that. Now, is there a reason to really teach kids what an actual sentence is? Of course there is. Like, there's no world of where I would deny that. However, I think we – it's this – and this is where it comes back to filler – is filler happens when we overstress the stuff that is important, but it's to the degree that it is important. Um, it's it's like, a, you know, I'm trying to think of like a real world example. You know, it's like, um, like if you're low on money, right? <laughs> you're trying to figure out where, what bills you need to pay. The stuff you need to pay first is the stuff that keeps everything moving, right? You got to make sure you have a home. You got to make sure you have food. You got to make sure you have gas, right? Electricity, all that stuff, right? Let's say you have a Netflix subscription. Maybe that doesn't get paid this month, right? And so, and now entertainment's very important. You can get grumpy without entertainment, Miss Ochoa. So I know. So Netflix might really it might be a struggle without it. And I feel like sometimes those extra tasks they're useful and they're awesome and they're amazing, but really I need kids reading and writing. I need them reading and writing in volume so that I can so that they can have enough practice to even know what I'm talking about. It's really hard to coach a kid through writing if they've never struggled through finding ideas themselves or struggled with how to fix something that loses. You, you know, th- there's a unique experience when you start off inspired and then you lose momentum and then you're like, well, I hate this piece, right? Writers, Stephen King talks about how when he finishes a novel, he puts it in a drawer and he's look at it for six months, Right. He now we can't do that in the classroom, obviously, but we can put it away and come back to it. And the reason he does that is because if you're too close to something, you see all of its flaws and everything good. And you can also you see too much of what's good about it. But once you're divorced from something from a little bit, you can analyze it better. You can revise it to a, a, a greater extent. Um, and it's that process. That natural struggling with what it means to be a writer. What is it? What does it mean to be a reader and reach the boring part of a novel? It happens, especially reading a long one, right? Not every word in a book is great. Some books are, most aren't, right? Some books have slow parts. They got characters you hate. I, I got to tell you, when I was on like book three of Game of Thrones, I was skipping major <laughs> sections because I was like, this is a thousand pages of the same crap that's been happening for the last 400 pages. I'm not going to read it. I don't care how great George R. R. Martin is. I'm not going to do it. And that is a unique thing that sometimes I feel like we don't, we don't advocate for enough is that authenticity of what reading and writing is. And I think that's, I feel like that's the antithesis to filler is, is the more authentic it is. Um, the better we are. I don't know. Closing thoughts, Miss Ochoa, on filler in the workshop? Well, you know, I was um, watching some stuff with uh, Ron Clark. Uh, we watched his story. I was uh, the other day, you know, because it's just inspiring. But uh, so, you know, when I start doing something like that, then I start looking up everything about that person and everything I can find. That's probably what I love to do most. And so I was looking up like some of his YouTube 
uh, you know, things, um, you know, when he was interviewed and stuff like this, this was right before he, uh, it's right after he wrote his book, but before he did the school, right? Ron Clark. And one of the things that he told the interviewer was when you have the students do something like a field trip, for example, even if it's just taking them down to the bowling alley, and I'm not saying, you know, we don't have the field trips like we used to, but even in your classroom, if you're having them do something new, one of the things he said was always make it a learning experience. So I think if you're going to do a filler, make it a learning experience, make it something that when they leave that moment, it changes their brains or their attitudes or gives them something to go, whoa, I never thought about that before. So to me, that's, those are the best fillers. If you can do that. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been the craft, the draft episode back to our full length episode that's how you know we're back in fashion come back next week for another fantastic episode and do not forget to register for our training that we have going we're talking about your first week in workshop start off your workshop right come ask questions and join a bunch of workshop teachers talking about workshop and if you don't come to the live recording of it then uh Get access. That way you can get the video afterwards. But thank you to our Patreon supporters who keep showing up and getting us there. We're about to hit 20 here in a little bit, it feels like, which is absolutely astounding. If you join us on Patreon, you get bonus episodes. No one else hears bonus trainings, videos, and all of that. Alicia, Brandy, Leah, Mark, Amy, Sarah, Rebecca, Courtney, Carol, Nalissa, Destiny, Lori, Natalie, and Susan all support us over there just like you can. So go do that. While you have time, Patreon supporters at the Patreon Plus get access to our upcoming training uh, with no additional cost. Patreon listeners get access to it with $5 off, and then everyone else can just pay the fee. If you do not want to support us over there on Patreon, it's perfectly fine. If you don't want to do either of those, subscribe so you don't miss any other episode. Leave a review. Let other educators know that they should be listening to this podcast, which we've gotten a few more reviews. So thank you very much for that as well. Share this with your PLC or your PLN. We're ending July. I hope you guys are enjoying your summer and or planning for next year. But know that we are here for you.